How many times did you ever hear people go off on a tangent speaking negatively about somebody else? And then when you stop them and you say, eh, hey, how could you say that? You know what their reaction is? What do you mean? That's exactly what happened. It doesn't matter. That's the whole point. You're not allowed to speak Lashon Hara, even if the information is entirely true. It's still Lashon Hara. Matter of fact, just the opposite. If there was any element of falsehood that was spoken in the information, then it's a much worse Aveda. It's not Lashon Hara anymore. Then it's Motsi Shemra. And that's much, much worse. Lashon Hara is when the information is 100% true, but it's derogatory and it's negative. And therefore, it's not allowed to be spoken. And therefore, Rabotai, listen to me. Don't underestimate this Aveda. Every word of Lashon Hara, says the Chafetz Chaim, transgresses 17 negative commandments. 70 lotase, one word. And then he tramples on 14 aseh. Do you hear that? Every word of Lashon Hara transgresses 17 negative commandments, lotase, and 14 mitzvat aseh. And therefore, think before you speak. Your mouth cannot be hefker. Be careful with your words. Says the Chafetz Chaim, the real Shmirat HaLashon, real Shmirat HaLashon, constitutes any remark that you end up making that might hurt somebody, might offend someone. Any remark that would hurt someone's feelings or cause them humiliation or damage or insult is already considered Lashon Adam. And therefore, you got to stop. We got to think first and then speak like our phones, our mouths need filters. You know, on every block amongst neighbors, there's always that one neighbor, the one that knows everybody's business. And boy, do they have this drive to share their information with everyone on the block from what's coming in and what's going out. shalom from the dirt on people. And the details of people's lives that not everybody really wants to share. Sometimes in yeshiva, you have that guy in the back room in the coffee room who knows exactly who's getting kicked out of yeshiva, who's getting, uh, who's getting engaged, whose engagements are breaking any day, and so on. These people know everything about everyone. And they love to share the information in spite of the fact that it is information that's clear and absolute gossip. This person is called the Baal Lashon Hara. The end. The Baal Lashon Hara. A person who habitually speaks Lashon Hara constantly is considered a Baal Lashon Hara. And their punishment is far, far worse than typically someone who every now and then slips up by speaking what they shouldn't. This Baal Lashon Hara, he's in a category of his own. It's on him that the Chafetz Chaim would always mention the famous Rambam. The Rambam says that when someone speaks Lashon Hara, he's over tantamount to the Gimel Averot Chamorot. Could you imagine that? He speaks Lashon Hara, it's like murder, it's like adultery, it's like idol worship. Says the Chafetz Chaim, yes, that is referring only to a Baal Lashon Hara, someone who speaks Lashon Hara habitually, constantly. Them, they make no effort to restrain themselves from what they shouldn't say. They're real gossipers, and their mouth is completely hefker. These people suffer in this world, and they lose their portion in olam haba. Unbelievable. How do we break out of this category of people? These people, the Balashonara, they're in a category of, of their own. How do we break out of this category of people? Says Chafetz Chaim, by learning the laws of Shmirat HaLashon, you're making a conscious effort that these halachot means something to you. That already takes you out of the category that you are not considered halachically a Baal Lashonara. And now, even if the eye slips up every now and then, and he does say every now and then something he shouldn't, but a Baal Lashonara, he's not. This is the great importance and the obligation to learn Shemirat Lashon every single day. It serves as an awareness to think before you talk, but it also stands as a testimony on me and you. It's our badge that we wear. I am not a Baalashon Hara. How many times have you heard someone say, come on, you can tell me I'm your best friend. How many times have you heard people say, we're so close, we're transparent, we don't hold anything between each other. Between me and you, come on, everything goes. 
You know, sometimes people use their relationships, they use their friendships, or even their authority sometimes, to squeeze out and pressure others to say Lashon Hara that they know they should not say. Even a teacher, a Rebbe, a principal who has a power or an authority over a person that they can actually get you in trouble if you don't give it over, or a good friend who wants to use their influence to pressurize you. At the end of the day, Lashon Hara is forbidden to be spoken even when pressured by others. No matter if it's a parent, no matter if it's a Rebbe, or even if it's a best friend. And sometimes the toughest one to, to hold out on when it comes to being pressured not to say Lashon Hara is your wife, because she takes it so to heart. What do you mean? I'm your wife. We, we're like one person. We, we don't hold back anything from each other. And she pressurizes you sometimes to reveal things that you know you're not allowed to say. Nonetheless, Borei Olam told us, pressure or not, you're not allowed to say Lashon Hara, period. Now this is amazing. This halacha applies even to someone who's being pressured to speak halach, speak Lashon Hara at the expense of losing their job, where their boss comes along and says, I want to know right now what happened. I want you to tell me exactly every detail. And you know it's absolute Lashon Hara. It is still forbidden to give over or break under pressure and to speak Lashon Hara, even if it means that he's going to lose his job or his livelihood. This is unbelievable. You know, a person's relationship can be affected. His friendship, he could even lose his job, his livelihood, to support his family. But, Hashem says, don't succumb to the pressure. Don't speak Lashon Hara, period. Says Borei Olam, through this, that you held out and sacrificed at a tough moment of pressure, and you did not give up the Lashon Hara, in spite of the friendship that was at stake, I'm going to bless that friendship. You did not give up the Lashon Hara in spite of the job that was on the line, I'm going to bless you in your livelihood. You're not going to lose out from doing the right thing and not speaking Lashon Hara. Now guys, I want to go back to the days that you probably remember of any award-giving ceremony. It could be in school, when it came to a graduation. It could be at the end of the summer in camp, on the big banquet, when they would give out awards to all different kids. And the parents are there present. Do you know that over the years I've watched that so many awards were given out to kids when they might have not really deserved it fully, but in order to strengthen the boy, to boost him, specifically to give him that confidence to make him look good in the eye of the public, was something that we capitalized over the years. We gave VIP awards and MVP awards, and awards for Midot, and awards for all different types of wonderful areas, just to make sure that everyone in that ceremony comes out with an award. And I remember one time a parent walked up to me and said, I know that my kid didn't play as well as the award you just represented him at the end of the summer, but you don't know what it meant to me that you made my son look good in the eyes of the people. Gentlemen, the great Yisod of Shmirat HaLashon, the great prohibition against speaking bad against other people, is Hashem telling you, it's not just that I don't want you to speak bad about my kid, but I don't want you, Chas v'shalom, to cause my son to look bad in front of others as well. His reputation is on the line. His family is on the line. If you're going to say that, what it's going to what is it going to make my kid look like? It's not just the act of speaking that Lashon Hara is vile, but it's the result that come out of what you said. You made my kid look bad. That's doubly the fury behind the Avera of Lashon Hara as well. The results, not just the act. And if this is the case, I think you can understand today's halachot wonderfully. This is why Chafetz Chaim tells us, be very careful, refrain, from speaking Lashon Hara, even if your reputation is on the line. Even if by not saying the Lashon Hara, you're going to end up looking like a fool. So you're going to say Lashon Hara to kind of protect your own reputation. Don't say it. Don't make my kid look bad. Or even maybe you're going to say the Lashon Hara to get somebody else from not hating you because you want to protect yourself in a certain way. And by doing so, you have to speak Lashon Hara. Forbidden. Don't make someone else look bad, even if it's at the expense of your reputation 
or even the feelings of sometimes other people. It's because of this that the Chafetz Chaim goes on and says that you must refrain from Lashon Hara even when it's in the written word, even if you're not speaking. Remember what we said. It's not about the act of speaking. It's about the results that you caused through giving off a negative message about one of my kids. And therefore, to display written material that will make someone else look bad is Lashon Hara, and it's not allowed. Even facial expressions. When you make a facial expression and give off that somebody else is not up to par, or somebody else is not as good as they look, or a facial expression like that was lousy, these facial expressions, although they're not an act of speaking, the result is the same. You made my kid look bad through those facial expressions. That is also considered Lashon Hara. Even if a person includes themselves in the Lashon Hara, sometimes people think, what do you mean? But I said the story over and I was a part of it. And I put myself down at the time together with the other person. Even if he demeans his own self, it's still Lashon Hara because the results still came out that you made someone else look bad, and that someone else is God's kid. Don't you make my kid look bad. That's my kid. I want you to make him look good. Do you have kids? Do you have siblings? Do you have parents? Do you have loved ones? Hashem says, listen to me well. The laws of Shemirat HaLashon is really to represent my kids the way you would want someone to represent yours. Lahefech! Make my kids look good. Don't put them down and you'll see what I'll do for yours. Gentlemen, I want you to think back for a minute, if you remember a few years ago, when those three boys in Israel were kidnapped. Everyone in Klal Yisrael, no matter what their religious level was, everyone was looking to do some sort of zikhut to be able to have a happier ending for what took place on that tragic, tragic situation of those three korbanot for Klal Yisrael. And at the time, even the least to the most of religious, had a tehillim in hand, and we were looking to do things to be able to have Yeshua for those boys and for Klaus. I remember we asked the Gadol, and he told us, as a shul, not only should you continue to pray by Petichat Echal, but for your night Seder, learn an extra minute or two. If your night Seder goes from 9 o'clock to 10 o'clock at night, he told us, Instead of starting our beat at 10 o'clock, started at 10.02. So we got up and we announced to the entire room, guys, tonight we're learning from 9 to 10.02. We're adding an extra two minutes of learning for the Yeshua of the situation of these three kidnapped boys. And I remember clearly, after our beat was over, a guy walked up to me and said, I don't get it. Two minutes? What is two minutes going to do? And I said to him, my friend, it's not two minutes of learning. How many guys did we have in the room at the time? We had a hundred guys by our night Seder. It's a hundred guys times two minutes of each guy's learning. We just sent up 200 minutes of Torah learning for the sake of the cause of the Yeshua of Klal Yisrael at that moment in time. Your efforts not only go by what you do, but the size of the audience of people that you affect as well. And therefore, the same is true in the opposite vein, says the Hafez Chaim. A person is not allowed to speak Lashon Hara. And of course, you're not allowed to speak Lashon Hara to one person. But especially so, think about it. How many times is the Lashon Hara Avera magnified when you speak Lashon Hara to the sizable audience? Could you imagine you walk up to a large group of people and you start speaking Lashon Hara? It's not one sin, but the sin of the Lashon Hara is magnified. Lefi, the size of the group. So if he's speaking a certain amount of words of Lashon Hara to 10 people, it's 10 times the words of Lashon Hara that's coming out of his mouth. And therefore says, Hafez Chaim, careful not to chas v'shalom, fall into sin, let alone to magnify the sin. It's amazing. Any statement we make that's derogatory is Lashon Hara. But guys, even a par of a statement that you make that can be interpreted as derogatory is also infringing on Lashon Hara. It all depends on the context 
of the way it's said. Sometimes it could be the, you know, the expression or the sound or the way it was said with a certain knech to the words that can make the difference between permissible or lashon hara. For instance, someone says, that family, the kids are very lebedic there. They're very lively, those kids. Now, that could be taken in two ways. It could sound like that the kids have a lot of spunk, a lot of charm, a lot of energy. But it also could sound like that those kids are hanging from the chandeliers and that they are very difficult to, to handle or to control. That statement goes by the context of the way it was given over and the way it sounds to the people being told. In that house, they're always cooking. It could be a nice thing. It, may, it might be a house of Or you might say that, you know, over there, they're overindulging in what they shouldn't be overindulging in. Again, it comes down to the way you put the words and the way it's interpreted. If it's interpreted favorably or not, be careful not just with the, what you say, but the tone of the way you say it. And therefore, it's interesting. When you're saying these statements that can go either way, if you're saying it in front of the person themselves, it's definitely mutar. Because we know that when you're standing in front of that person, you're going to be careful to say it in a nice way, with a nice tone. You're going to make sure that the comment comes out favorable because you're standing in front of the person. Then already it's absolutely permissible. If you're standing in front of the person and you say that this guy's kids are lebedic, it means a compliment because it's assuming that you wouldn't say something right in front of the person. There's even an idea to say that if you speak in front of three people, because it's already a group, it'll come back to that person. So it's as if you're like in front of the person. And again, if you say something that can go either way, it'll probably be understood that you meant it in the good way. Later on, we'll find out if you can rely on that three people concept or not. But the bottom line is, be careful with your words. Be careful with the tone and be careful with the size of the group. A good friend comes to you and says to you, I have a secret that I want to tell you and it's going to stay between me and you. And he kind of unbridles his heart and he tells you something sensitive and he tells you something between you and him. That secret to him is not just information, it's trust. And if you're going to now breach that trust, and tell out that secret to somebody else, that is a violation of Lashon Hara. Even though the information that's being given over has nothing to do with anything derogatory, you're not speaking bad about anyone. But because it was given to you in confidence, and it was told to you, hey, I'm trusting you. This is a secret. Be careful with this information. I don't want this to get out. He leans in. He whispers, you could already tell what a secret looks like between friends. And this guy turns around and breaches the trust and gives out that secret. We're going to call that illegal information, which breaks the trust of another Jew. That is also classified as forbidden speech and Lashon Hara. If this is the case, we could step up now to another halacha. And that is when it comes to board meetings, when the committee comes together on any project of any level, and they have a meeting in confidence, and everyone's giving their opinions, and at the end of the meeting, there's the vote, where they're going to vote now on a specific certain decision that's going to affect many people. It's going to affect the entire shul. It's going to affect the entire organization. It's going to affect maybe sometimes a family or families or a block that have a meeting between people, and the gabayim come along, and they sit together to make a decision for everybody else to kahal. The information that goes on in that meeting and who voted for what is absolutely illegal to give over to the outside. You broke the trust and the confidence of the people that were there in that meeting. At that moment, it's a breach of trust. It's a breach of confidence. And that is called as well Lashon Hara. So the guy leaves the meeting and someone runs up to him and says, No! What happened? What was the final decision? And you know what the guy says? I voted that we should do the extension, but I was outvoted. That is absolute lashonara because you're basically giving over what your position was and they could understand by that which he was outvoted the other people who took a different position. 
That is a breach of trust, and it's giving away a certain secret of information. That already is considered Lashon Hara. And even if you're under duress and they force you to tell you what happened, the meeting, and who voted for what, still, you're not allowed to give away that information. And it's clearly Lashon Hara. Rabotai, think about this for a minute. They give away a secret, Lashon Hara. They give away private information of a meeting, a board meeting, Lashon Hara. Think about it. Hashem, He keeps me and you private. Hashem does not allow the Averot of people or even their inner feelings to be known on the outside to others because He's so careful with your privacy. You're required to at least be willing to do the same. Now, Rabotai, I want to tell you that the following words is not a paid advertisement for the United Association of American Rabbis, but I do want to explain to you a little bit of the feelings of what goes on on the other side of the pulpit. This is a word from the other side of the pulpit. When a rabbi or even a lecturer, a Torah lecturer, gets up to give a didasha, and people get up and start running out of the room to leave before the didasha begins, whether it be a Sudat Shalishi didasha, whether it be a Friday night didasha, whatever didasha it might be, what's amazing is, is that the vibe that's given off is, I don't want to get stuck in this speech. Now, the constitu- what constitutes Lashon Hara, believe it or not, is demonstrating something that sends a vibe that the other person is going to look very bad from. It makes it seem that what they're about to do is not of worth to stick around. And therefore, the actual getting up and leaving from a shir, Chazal talk about it as something terrible. Let alone, it's forbidden to mock or make fun of a public speaker that's giving a shir, or a rabbi, or a rebbe that's giving a shir. Words like, it was boring, or, eh, he wasn't so prepared. Or to say like, when someone mentions, wow, that was a great shir, and the guy next to him says, eh, I heard better. These words are absolute Lashon Hara, let alone the guy that says, I fell asleep a few minutes into the class. That already is absolute mocking, degrading of the speaker and of the Torah he's giving. And those are absolute forbidden words, Lashon Hara. Better approach the speaker and privately advise him, hey, I think that the material would be given over so much better, so much more appreciative if. You would start with the story, you'd come with the this, the that, and give them a little bit of an, a, an example or a tutorial to make the share that much better. You'd be mekayim ve'ahavta rather than lashon hara in the opposite vein. Show someone that you care about them by cleaning up their act and making them look good instead of saying words that would make them look bad. Because you're not only helping them, you're also helping what they're representing, which is the Torah itself. Those people that mock a Rebbe or a public speaker when giving a shir or a Torah lesson, those people who are listening in and enjoying the mocking, they violate almost all 17 lotase and the 14 aseh that the Chafetz Chaim speaks about in the beginning of his sefer, especially in this area. They're also thrown into the category as a Baal Lashon Hara. Because this particular category is extremely stringent, more than the typical Lashon Hara. Not only that, what Hafez Chaim says, people that mock public rabbis or public speakers do not end up beholding the Shekhinah in the world to come. By mocking a Torah lecture, by mocking a Shir, by mocking a Rebbe, you're mocking and degrading the Torah itself. You know, sometimes people find that their popularity amongst their friends is that they're the funny guy, the joker, the entertainment of every little schmooze or sit-down. And the guy knows by now that he's looked to by everyone as the one to bring a laugh to the table. Now, the truth of the matter is, this guy's very talented. He's very polished with his words. He has a very sharp tongue. And at the same time, he knows how to get people to laugh. And even so, although his jokes are not motivated by hatred at all, The guy is a good guy, and he really loves people. 
and he loves the attention that he gets from people. But since by making those jokes he comes off in a derogatory way, that already is Lashon Hara. And he's not allowed to be funny at the expense of other people. And this is amazing because we have this all the time. Although he has no intent. He has no intent to disgrace anyone. But because what he's saying is going to be hurtful or damaging or make someone else the butt of his joke and put them in a certain light of disgrace, that already is absolute Lashon Hara. And the guy says, but what do you mean? I was just joking. Come on, can't you take a joke? It's just light humor. But if it's against somebody and it hurts their feelings, it's absolute forbidden Lashon Hara, period. Rabotai, what about somebody who causes an indirect damage to somebody else by saying something that's derogatory and they absolutely don't mention any names? And I think we hear this a lot where someone will tell over a story and they give you every detail in the story. And from the details, you can kind of figure out who they're talking about. And at the end, you tell the person, but you're not allowed to say that. It's Lashon Hara. And the person says, what? I didn't say any names. I didn't tell you who. Yeah, but you said it happened to the person that sat behind you in class. (laughs) So we already kind of understand exactly what you're talking about. That already is Lashon Hara. Details were given in a storyline, even though no names were mentioned but we can figure out who you're talking about. Absolute Lashon Hara. Hey, but there's somebody else who's really crafty. Now, this guy is a little bit on the sharper side of things. You know, they figure out how to say a very general statement, but in a way that they can tell you certain pointers that indirectly will hurt somebody else. For instance, you know, the girls, when they graduate high school, so they have this thing, head of geo. It's a big thing to them, right? So like one girl turns to the other and says, you know, sometimes that position of head of geo is because her father, because the person's father, rather, gave a lot of money to the school. Now, she's not talking about anyone in specific, but we can understand what she means because we know who ended up getting the position. So She said a very general statement. Sometimes the schools give these prominent positions to people who their parents give a lot of money to the school. But at the end of the day, it was stated craftily enough that we know exactly who they're talking about. In an indirect way, it's extremely damaging. Sometimes you hear people say, well, you know, if I had money like other people in this neighborhood, I'd be able to get my kid into that school as well. Now, the person listening starts thinking about all the people who have their kids in that school who have money. And indirectly, now they understood that this person just gave over a statement that indirectly harmed or spoke Lashon Hara about somebody else. This is, as well, completely forbidden Lashon Hara, period. Rabotai, think about it for a minute. Boreol, when he brings down the good of this world, we want it directly. And chas v'shalom, when things that are not so good are brought down to this world, we don't even want it indirectly. It's funny, you go through life, and you meet all different types of people, and every now and then you bump into a person who really knows how to play dumb. Where they have a certain plan in mind, a certain objective, a motive, but they know how to play very innocent and dumb in a certain way to bring out a result which would seem to be so innocent and sometimes so dangerous. It's funny how when a person can come off speaking Lashon Hara about someone else, and then they come off kind of defending themselves and saying, really? Oh, I didn't realize. I didn't know that that was us. I didn't realize that was Lashon Hara. Or I didn't realize you know the person I'm talking about. Or I didn't realize that saying that would make the person look bad. And all these little I didn't realizes is in certain way playing the dumb card to bring out an underhanded way of pretending, not realizing that what's being spoken is real Lashon Hara. At the end of the day, pretending 
and not realizing is not an excuse. It's absolute degrading information. It's Lashon Hara, and it's forbidden, period. Regardless if the person claims that they realized or not. And even if no harm comes out of Lashon Hara, even if a person goes and speaks Lashon Hara, and there's absolutely no harm that comes out of it, they know their audience. They know the people that are listening. And they know that the people that are listening to what they're saying aren't believing what they're saying. Still, whether they believe what you're saying or not, if you're speaking bad about somebody else, it's derogatory, it's forbidden, and it's Lashon Hara period. And the person's going to need Kapara, regardless if they believe it or not. And Rabotai, listen to this. Even if you're confident that no harm will come out of the Lashon Hara, you're going to tell about somebody else. Where, for example, the guy says, it's okay, you can tell me. I'm not hiring the guy anyways. Doesn't matter. What you're going to tell me now does not have any reflection or effect to my decision regardless. I already made up my mind. I'm not hiring him. I'm not dating him. You can tell me. Or they might say the opposite. I'm dating him anyways, regardless of what you tell me. I like the guy. I'm going to date him regardless. You can tell me whatever you want. It's not going to change my mind. doesn't matter which direction they're going. Lashon Hara is forbidden to be spoken, regardless if the person is confident that no harm will come out of it. Still, you're not allowed to speak Lashon Hara, period, and it's forbidden. I think that when you hear this halacha be'eyun a little deeper, you'll understand and appreciate new definition to the word harmless. When it comes to Lashon Hara, there's no such thing as harmless. Maybe right now for the moment, what you're saying might not harm the person. Maybe right now for this moment, the negative information that you're giving over about this person is not relevant to the person that's listening at this moment. They might not believe you, or it might not go anywhere, or it might not harm the person. But you just planted a negative seed in the mind of another Jew about somebody else. And those negative seeds later on can give off negative fruit. In an American society, we have this saying that seeing is believing. In Judaism, we know good and well that what you see in this world is never what you get. And seeing is absolutely not believing at all. But rather, there's always more than what meets the eye. And therefore, a lot of times we find ourselves living in a very judgmental society when we should have already picked up in life that seeing is not believing. If, for instance, you would see somebody who's God-fearing, a very Yerat Shamayim God-fearing person, and that person you saw doing something questionable, either morally or religiously, at that point, we are required, we are chayav, to judge that person favorably. And even if it seems that you're looking straight away at what seems to be terribly wrong, but if it's a God-fearing person, a Talmud Chacham, forget about it, 100%, not even more so, but even a God-fearing person, we are required to judge them favorably. And this is true even if the evidence is stacked against them, even if the evidence is weighted against them. Still, we are required to judge them favorably. Now, this is I'm talking here in a case where you actually saw it. You saw it. The evidence is clear. And still you have to judge them favorably when it's a Talmud Chacham or a God-fearing Jewish person, let alone if you only heard about somebody where someone told you over that this rabbi or this person or this Yerush Shamayim did something that seemed to be terribly wrong. Definitely you're not allowed to believe, and definitely you are required to judge that person favorably without question. Without question. What about if instead you've witnessed someone who's mediocre religious? You know, someone who does slip up every now and then. So, well, we all slip up every now and then. But someone who's mediocre religious in their observance of Judaism is what I mean. They're already, even if the evidence is weighted against that person, it's still proper not to judge anyone. And this is an amazing thing. Look how important it is to hold judgment, just like you would never want to be judged by anyone else. Don't judge other people. We're talking here clearly about the concept of judging. However, when it comes to Lashon Hara, 
even if you saw somebody who's not religious and they're doing something that's extremely wrong and the evidence is clear, and you might even think to judge, but to say over what you saw is never allowed. That's without question. Gentlemen, how many times in life there were things that happened that at first glance looked one way and then later on panned out to be completely the opposite? How many times you met people in life that your first impression, you thought they were one type of person, and then as you got to know them, they turned out to be totally somebody else. Turned out to be a great guy. I don't have to tell you the famous story about that rabbi on the plane on the way to Israel. And while everyone got up to pray shahrit, he sat in his chair and didn't even take out his tefillin. And when it came time for this guy walking down the aisle, he walks by the rabbi, he sees the rabbi's reading the Wall Street Journal while he expected him to have a sefer or something. And the story goes on and on. I'm not here to tell you the story, but I am here to tell you the end. Because when this guy who's watching the rabbi, not davening, not learning, not nothing, and he's saying to himself, this is supposed to be big rabbi in our community. Wait till I get home. I'm going to tell people. I had my eyes on him. And at the end, it's time to get off the plane. The rabbi gets up and he's standing behind the rabbi and he sees as the rabbi is taking his stuff down, he sees that his shirt is completely ripped. And he says to the rabbi, what happened to your shirt? And he turns around and he says, I'm on the way to Israel to bury my mother. He's in Avelut. And then he says, oh, that's why he couldn't learn. That's why he couldn't daven. That's why, what was I, how was I, what was I thinking? Train yourself to have a good eye, to see the good in people. It's your choice. You live in the world that you choose to witness. You know, there are some people that they feel more from when they put down other people's religious observance. Instead of them kind of working on becoming greater in their own Avodat Kodesh, they feel more religious when mentioning and putting down the Avodat Kodesh of other people. And this is, besides a terrible midah, it's also a terrible violation when it comes to Lashon Hara. It is absolutely forbidden to tell over the mistakes that people make in their Torah observance to other people. The level of a person's observance when it comes to, let's say, the laws of Shabbat, where it comes to, let's say, any observance of mitzvot, are not allowed to be told over to other people in a derogatory way. Where sometimes, you know, you hear someone say, Ah, this guy, he doesn't know Hilchot Shabbat. I was sitting with him last week. I was watching the way he was taking apart that fish. Oh my gosh, he was completely violating Borer numbers of times. You're not allowed to say over the mistakes of people's observance to anyone else in a derogatory way. And not only that, Rabotai, listen to this. You're not even allowed to tell over your own mistakes that you made in your own religious observance to other people, even as a joke or just this conversation, where, yeah, once upon a time I didn't keep kosher. Yeah, once upon a time I didn't keep Shabbat. You're not allowed to say that about yourself either. You're putting yourself in a terrible light, and that's a violation of the laws of Shemirat HaLashon, of Lashon Ara. Now, it makes no difference. It makes no difference what level of Torah observance we're talking about here. Whether you say that a person was over on a Dioraita or a Darabanan, you're not allowed to even say to someone else that this guy was over on a Chumrah that most people keep, even though it's Chumrot. And still, it's going to put him in a negative light. And his Torah observance, it's going to make him look bad. This is absolute Lashon Hara, and it's forbidden, period. And you're definitely not allowed to remind the Baal Teshuvah about his past. You're not allowed to walk up to a guy and say, hey, come on, tell me. I know once upon a time, before you were religious, you ate in Burger King. How did it taste? Kentucky Fried Chicken. Come on, tell me, how was the Colonel's Chicken? How did it taste? To remind people of what they once did, once upon a time, before they did Teshuvah, and bringing up the past of the areas that they lacked in their Avodat HaKodesh, is absolutely Lashon Hara, to say someone else, to say to someone else, and not ever to bring up the past to the person himself as well. You know, it's a very funny thing if you think about it. Ki en To human beings, we have something called Shikha, that we forget. Hashem never forgets. But Hashem says, I'm willing to make it 
as if I forget all the things that you did wrong, if you're ready to let go and forget that which other people do wrong as well. People have this assumption that the only time they're required to judge their friend favorably is only when it's possible that they can come up with some sort of a reason why it was okay for this guy to do what he did in spite of the fact that normally it's forbidden. You know, it's those famous examples, like I told you that story with the rabbi on the airplane going to Israel, and the other person was watching him, he didn't dive in, he had a Wall Street Journal, and only later on he finds out that the rabbi was an Avelut. Or, you know, those type of examples, like they saw somebody eating something they shouldn't be eating, later on they found out he was a diabetic, and he had some sort of attack at the moment, and it was pikuach nefesh. Or, you know, the guy went into McDonald's, and, 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 and later on you find out that he desperately needed the restroom, and he just couldn't hold himself. So we always think that the concept of judging people favorably is being creative enough to find the reason why what normally is not okay, this time was okay. But in truth, says the Chafetz Chaim, that there is more of an obligation for you to judge people favorably, even if you cannot come up with an explanation or a reason of why he did what he did. Where even if actually the guy did the Avera, and he knew that he did the Avera, but there's another level of judging somebody favorably. And that is, perhaps, maybe he did it by mistake. Perhaps, maybe he didn't know that wasn't allowed to do that. He wasn't schooled to understand that that's an Avera in the first place. Believe it or not, there's so many times when people were gently and respectively pointed out certain things they shouldn't be doing. The knee-jerk first reaction always is, oh my gosh, I didn't know it was not allowed. You'd be surprised how many times people are at a lack of knowledge. Or perhaps maybe the person knew it wasn't right, but they didn't realize the severity. Like a lot of times you hear people say, ah, that's business. That's just the way everyone's doing it these days. So they don't realize how severe it is what they just did. You need to be non-judgmental or to judge favorably, even to the level of finding a zechut for the person, even if it was true that he knew he was doing the sin. I always like to look at it like the great Rav Levi Yitzchuk Mimbardichev. Appoint yourself as the defense lawyer of the person you just witnessed doing a sin. And instead of condemning him, step up and defend him in front of his maker and say, Abba, your kid is still golden. Your kid is still great. I bet the only reason why he did that was because he didn't know the severity. Or I bet if I would school him quietly on the side, you'll see he'll never do it again because he didn't realize it was wrong in the first place. You have no idea how delicious, you have no idea how beloved those people are in Hashem's eyes, the people that defend his kids rather than put them down. And therefore, if chas v'shalom, you do see somebody that is doing an avera, and the chance is that he might know that he's doing something wrong, judge him favorably and never, ever tell over to someone else what you saw. That's absolute lashon hara. There's nothing to talk about. Either way, if it's clear, what happens if the guy doesn't avera and you know this guy, and you know that he knows that this avera is severe, where you know, like, let's say, you know, he did it in hiding, in a way where he understood it was bad, but he just couldn't help himself. So if this is a religious from Jew, generally, from religious Jews, Yerei Shamayim, stay away from Averot. And if he's caught in private doing a certain Averah, it's forbidden to tell anyone. If you find out that this guy did a sin in private, it's forbidden to tell anyone. Says the Chafetz Chaim, you are to approach him in private. He did the sin in private? Approach him in private and encourage him to guard himself. Approach him to bring himself to a better awareness of how never to fall back into that type of chas type, type of thing again. And if the person is tamid chacham, and he's a pious person, and one time the Yitzhahara got the better, better of him, right? And sadiq ba'alam shalom yecheta, right? Even the best of people, where Yitzhahara got a hold of him one time, and he fell? It's forbidden to tell anyone. And even so, you have to already assume that because he's Talmud Chacham, he probably already did tshuva. He's probably eating himself up enough. You don't even have to approach he himself 
approached his own guilt in the mirror and did teshuva over and over again at that point. I'll be honest with you, Rabotai, the way to close this halach in simple terms, don't judge people. Find a zechut for them. Not just find a reason why it might have been okay. Find a zechut why even if it wasn't okay, they're still good and defend them in front of the Avinu Shabbat Shamayim. And if you want to see how this is done, talk to your mother. She'll tell you how she did it for you for years. When I was growing up, I had this little sign hanging on my bedroom wall and it said the definition of a true friend. The definition of a true friend is someone that you know everything about him and you still love him. And that's really the point that we want to hit on today. If a person sees somebody else doing an Avera, he's supposed to rebuke them in private. And if he sees that the rebuke won't work, or if he sees that the person is not listening, or he takes it as a joke, or maybe he listens to the rebuke, but it wears off, and he's back at it, doing it again. At that point, since when you saw him, you're an Edech, you're only one person, you're supposed to, at that point, go to his rabbi and tell over what you saw and ask the rabbi to intervene and speak to him to influence, to change his ways. Maybe this person has a best friend that's closer to him and he would actually listen to what the best friend says. You're allowed to go over to his best friend and tell him, I saw your close friend, your best friend, doing the following avera. Please step in and help him. He'll listen to you. Get him to do teshuvah, to change his ways. And especially when it comes to a Rebbe, because the rabbi will work with Da'at Torah diligently, step by step, to get him to not only change his ways, but to do teshuvah on what he did. However, the Rebbe and even the best friend that you tell what you saw, they are absolutely not allowed to tell over to anyone else what they heard about this person. That would be Lashon Hara. If this person that you saw sinning, a regular religious Jew, he has relatives that are very close to him, his parents, maybe his brothers, his sister. There's someone in the family that has a lot of influence with him. You're allowed to go to that family member, that relative, and tell them what you saw their relative do. And then they're asked to step in and use their influence to try to change the sinner's way to start doing things right. What's interesting is in all these above halachot, anytime you witness somebody doing an avera, it's the mindset of your intention. That if your intention is to help him, l'shem shamayim, then and only then are you allowed to turn around and reach out to the rabbi or to the best friend, a relative, someone else, to help him. However, if your intention is, I got him, you're looking to frame the guy. You're looking at this as an opportunity to bring him down because now you have dirt on him. Now you have something over him because you know that he did this and this avera in private. Then you're not allowed halachically to involve yourself at all with this situation because there's nothing good that's going to come forward from you speaking to other people about this. In truth, we need to change our mindset. We need to understand that nothing in this world is brought to you by mistake. If you saw it, Hashem meant for you to see it and to do something about it. He put you on a mission to go out and help this guy, help him with compassion. Hashem doesn't only look what you're doing, but how you're doing it. And therefore, remember the definition of a true friend. A true friend is someone who knows everything about you and still loves you. That's the guy Hashem wants you to be to the person you saw sinning. A true friend with compassion, with love. Help him step by step while protecting his dignity. And Hashem says, if you'll be a true friend to him in his moments of sin, then you can count that Hashem will be a true friend to you as well. If a person regularly does Averot, which everyone knows are not allowed. For instance, you have a guy who is Mechalel Shabbat in your neighborhood, and you see week after week, he's driving around, and you know he knows better. You know that this guy knows better. He went to yeshiva once upon a time. You're allowed to tell people what you saw. You can actually go and tell people that you witnessed, that he drove around on Shabbat, or any other Avera that people know is forbidden. But there are a few conditions. Condition number one, you could only tell people what you saw if you saw it firsthand. Not that you heard about it, but you actually witnessed it firsthand. The next condition is you're not allowed to exaggerate, only to keep to exactly what you saw. The third condition is that your intention must be L'shem Shamayim. If you have any other intention other than getting this guy the message, 
that he should change and do Teshuvah, you're not allowed to say it. And the fourth intention is that when you speak about him, you speak about him the same way in private than in public. Don't be the guy that in private tells people the things he did wrong, and then when you're with him in public, you act at his best friend. If you're going to make a stance on this and trying to send them information to him that he did something wrong, it has to be the same in private as in public. I made a siman to remember these few conditions. And the siman is first exaggerate with intent to flatter. First, exaggerate with intent to flatter. First, first-hand information. Exaggerate, you're not allowed to exaggerate. With intent, the intent has to be l'shem shamayim. To flatter, you're not allowed to flatter him in front of him while in private speaking the averot that he's done. Now, this is all about the guy who witnessed someone doing averot that everyone knows is wrong, and the laws about when he's allowed to speak and tell it over. What about the listener? When he tells you, the listener, that he saw this guy driving around on Shabbat in public, are you allowed to believe him? Let's take an example. You have an office situation where a guy comes to his boss and he says, don't hire that guy. I know him. He lives on my block. He went to yeshiva with me. He drives around on Shabbat, every single Shabbat. I wish he would stop. I wish this guy would do teshuvah already. So he's allowed to say that because he witnessed it firsthand. He didn't exaggerate. His intent was Hashem Shamayim. He speaks in front of him the way he speaks behind his back. No different. What about the boss? Is the boss allowed to listen and believe what he's telling him about the guy that he's thinking of hiring? The halacha states that the listener is not allowed to believe the accusations to be true, but he's allowed to be skeptical about the guy in order to protect himself, in order to protect his business, or maybe the environment of his business. Until the information is proved to the listener as first-hand information that's true, the listener is not allowed to believe it as truth. But... Once the information is proved to the listener to be true 100%, and he finds out that really this guy, he constantly is a regular sinner on Averot that everyone knows is wrong, then even if other things come up in the future about this guy that's questionable, he can assume that he probably fell in those areas as well, and he no longer has to give him the benefit of the doubt. It's amazing. You know, young people are known to say, don't believe everything you hear. Older people that went through life say, don't believe anything you hear. Remember, until you have firsthand information that's absolutely clear that the person has done any Averot, every Jew is innocent until proven guilty. Thank you. Now, I think everyone would agree that even the best of people have bad days. And there are times where we can find ourselves in a tough moment and a person loses it, and they say things that they regret, and they say things that they know they should not have said, and they already feel bad about it. Even the best of people have bad moments, a moment of anger, a moment of arrogance. And because of that, the halacha we're about to learn now, I think, is very, very simple. It's forbidden to degrade a person for their character traits or character flaws, like being arrogant or having a bad temper, and telling that over to others. Because maybe you caught the person in a bad moment. Maybe you caught that person on a bad day. And it kind of just slipped out in the wrong place in the wrong time. And at that point already, the person regrets it. And they already did teshuvah. And they said to themselves, Oof, how did I say that? How did I do that? And because of that, you're not allowed to tell over bad character flaws to other people. Maybe if the person knew how bad it was to have these character traits... They would better themselves. They would be more careful. So instead of speaking against the person, approach the person and tell them privately, listen, you might not know this, but I need to tell you the severity of bad midot. And that's why you have an opportunity here. Instead of talking about the person to others and saying over Lashon Hara and getting an Avera for it, you have instead the opportunity to take a person on the side and talk to them nicely with dignity and explain to them how they can be better. And you'll get a mitzvah instead. Here's another point. I'm sure that over the years, everybody remembers 
either their mother or their father, came up to them at some point in time and said, hey, stay away from that kid. I don't want you hanging out with that kid. Or, hey, I don't like your, I don't like your circle of friends. Find new friends. Find better people to hang out with. A person is allowed to come to their child or to a friend or to a family member and warn them to stay away from certain people that have character flaws or different things that they don't want to learn from them. Matter of fact, it's a mitzvah to tell your child to stay away from bad friends, provided that you tell the child or the friend and you clarify and you say, listen up, the reason why I'm allowed to tell you to stay away from that person because he's not a good influence, because he's arrogant, because he has bad midot, is only because of a constructive purpose. I don't want you to learn from them. Otherwise, I wouldn't be allowed to tell you what I'm telling you now. You need to clarify that. You see, because if you don't, then otherwise, the person will get the wrong example. They'll end up thinking that, hey, you're allowed to bash people or tell the bad about others, which instead of them getting the constructive message, which is to stay away from bad people with bad character flaws, they're going to get the message that you're allowed to speak Lashon Hara. And therefore, you have to clarify. I'm only allowed to tell you to stay away from that kid. He has bad midot. He has a bad temper. He has a stealing streak to him. He lies. Stay away from that kid. Stay away from that person because I care about you. I don't want you to learn from them. I'm telling you this for a constructive purpose. You know, it's interesting. The same way that we're so on top of our kids, the same way we point out to them who not to befriend, we should be just as quick to point out to them who needs a friend. Over the years, how many times we had kids in class who had no one to really hang out with. They weren't inside our clique. They were sitting alone by recess with no one to talk to. We should be the ones to inspire our kids. The same way we're so protective, the same way we point out to them who not to befriend, we should also point out to them who needs a friend. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we all know that in our times, one of the most common questions of Shmirat Alashon is when we're reaching out to find out information about other people. We're going to find out that the big point that we need to be careful with is how do you ask about the information and who do you ask? Again, how do you ask and who do you ask? And therefore, I think you understand the halacha that when you're reaching out to inquire about maybe a potential business partner or a potential shiduch for yourself or your child, or maybe a potential employee, someone who's one day going to work for you. How is the information supposed to be given over? And how do you inquire and ask people about this information in a permissible way? So says the Chafetz Chaim, you're not allowed to ask the person who you're inquiring, you're not allowed to ask their enemy information about them. Nor are you allowed to turn to people that dislike the person you're inquiring about to ask information about them either. You're not allowed to ask the person's competitor about that person any information you're looking for. And when you do ask the proper people looking into the person, you are to mention the reason why you're asking. It's very important. If you don't mention the reason why you're asking, then the information that's given to you might actually be Lashon Hara. Rather, when you state clearly, hey, I'm thinking of going into business with this person. Could you tell me about him? I'm thinking of a shiduch for my daughter. I'm looking into this guy. Can you tell me about him? Then when the reason is given, it's clear that the information that's given over is for the purpose of whatever venture you're looking into. And specifically, when you hear the information, never assume that what's being told to you is absolutely true. You can take the information on face value and you could assume and maybe suspect that it might be true. And then from there, you act accordingly with the information as you want but you cannot take it as truth. Now, we were talking about the person who's giving over, rather, we're talking about the person who's asking for the information. What about the person who's giving over the information? So the Chafetz Chaim tells us, the person giving over the information is not allowed to exaggerate. Keep it specifically to the facts. And as well, when you're being asked about someone, do not step up and start giving general descriptions, but rather, Stop the person who's asking you and say, what do you want to know? Hey, I'm calling for a shiduch. I'm asking about this guy for my daughter. Oh, very nice. What do you want to know about the guy? And then they'll say, 
I want to know, is he a matmid? I want to know, is he balmidot? Let it be pointed information, not general descriptions. That can go anywhere, and we fringe again on violating Lashon Hara. No, ask, what is it that you're looking for? What is it that you want to know about the guy? And I'll try my best to give over to you what it is that you're looking for. You know, this is another reason why it's so important to learn the laws of Shminat HaLashon. The obligation today is probably bigger than ever because today we're in the age of such lightning speed communication. We're all day, constantly, in all different venues of communication. We're always asking and looking into other people at all times. If we don't learn these laws properly, it is so easy today to trample on the laws of Lashon Haran Shminat HaLashon. So on the sign-off, the tone and the words that you use have a great impact on the listener that's inquiring and asking. And therefore, be very careful, not just who you ask, not just what you say, but careful how you say it. What tone do you use? Be gentle with your words. Remember, you're giving over words now. Give it over in the way that you'd be answering about your own relative or maybe brother. Thank you for listening.